This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is not your century. This is not your century, where we celebrate the news and the news media of centuries gone by. I'm King Kaufman. Welcome to day two of Not Your Century Live! Thank you very much. That was very good. And now, one of the most important people in Silicon Valley coverage ever, I think. And uh, we're just talking to the beta brand people about this. When I came to work at the San Francisco Chronicle way back in... 2018, uh, the f- thing I heard most often when I told my friends and acquaintances, uh, you know, I'm working at the Chronicle, the one thing I heard most often was, oh, Owen Thomas works there, right? Have you met him yet? People from all walks of life, the, you know, the guy at the grocery store, my comedian friend, you know, not just tech people, not just journalism people, like Owen Thomas knows everybody. He wrote for Valley Wag, he wrote for uh, Daily Dot, and not just wrote, he ran them. Read, write, all sorts of places. He is now the business editor of the San Francisco Chronicle, and I highly recommend his newsletter, Tech Chronicle. Owen Thomas. <laughs> Welcome. And I can tell you, I have some inside information. Owen Thomas went clothes shopping <laughs> at, between work and now. And uh, how good does he look right now? Yeah. All right. That's uh, just oh. because I wanted to look as stylish as King does every day at work. There you go. There you go. That gets no applause because it was totally insincere and everybody knows it. <laughs> All right. Uh, one, I wanna, we talked a little bit about what we're going to talk about. And one of the things that I want to talk about is not all the great, amazing uh, places you worked that did great journalism, but the first place that I know about that you worked, which was Suck.com. And uh, for yes, those of you too true. young to remember, Suck.com, a fish, a barrel, and a smoking gun. It was a daily blog before anybody... Uh, that I knew of, uh, knew that word, and uh, I feel like I started working online in the beginning of 1996 at a very dumb website, Um, and a year later I got to Salon.com, and at that time, 96, 97, 98, it seemed like uh, Suck.com was just the most zeitgeisty bit of the zeitgeist. When you went, as everyone did, to South Park to eat your lunch, the two conversations you heard was people arguing about which character in Dilbert who was who at their office. <laughs> Dilbert fandom did not work out well in the long run. And the other thing was whatever had been in Suck that day. Um, tell me about working at Suck. Like, that, to me, that's like you work, someone tells me they worked at the White House. Like, it's as impressive as that. Well, I, th- well, I think the, the story you need is how did I get the job at Suck.com? How did you get the job at Suck.com? Well, Suck.com was read by everyone in the internet industry uh, in the, you know, in the mid-90s. I, I mean, it really was that kind of widespread, at least in like uh, a three-block radius of wired headquarters <laughs> in South of Market, which is where Suck.com was operating on the sly 
on a server that uh, its co-founders just plugged into the wall uh, without their boss's knowledge or permission. And eventually, uh, eventually wired, uh, wired bosses figured this out. They figured out that the call was coming from inside the building, <laughs> and they bought Suck.com for not very much money. And, uh, and then uh, the founders, uh, Joey Anoff and Carl Stedman, proceeded to run it for Wired. Um, so I got there, um, I got there as, uh, you know, as Suck.com was kind of becoming official, so I, I actually was hired as a, a Wired employee. Um, but the way I got the job is that I was a really uh, fanatical Suck reader. Um, my colleagues and I read it every morning. It wasn't quite up to my standards, however. They got something wrong every day because the way Suck ran, uh, you know, Joey would write the essay at like 11 o'clock at night and then uh, Carl would edit it at midnight and then they would hit publish and we'd all read it in the morning. And there were typos, there were the occasional factual error. Um, and um, I, I have some uh, folks who, uh, who previously worked on the business team with me and. Uh, in the audience here, and they know I can be a bit persnickety <laughs> at, at times. Uh, so I sent, uh, I sent the, um, the Sucksters, as they call themselves, a daily email called Typos Du Jour. <laughs> and I would just list all their mistakes. Sure and they would really well. They would fix them because it was the internet and you could just, you know, type and, uh, you know, and republish and there, no one needs to be the wiser. Um, I'd send it to them pretty early because, you know, I figured they'd want to get that stuff fixed. So this went on for four months of daily typos du jour emails. And finally, they list a job for a copy editor. And, <laughs> and I typos applied. In it? Were there typos in it? <laughs> you know, I, I think the listing was pretty clean. But it, it turns out that the, uh, the person who was assigned to copy edit um, had, um, had applied for the position of copy editor. She didn't really want to copy edit. She just wanted to write for Suck. And that's what she was doing, and she was brilliant at that. And so they let her be a columnist. That, um, that person was Heather Haverleski, who is a brilliant author. Uh, I was honored to um, clean up her copy. And, um, yeah, and I wouldn't think of Heather Haverleski, no yeah. offense, Heather, if you're listening, as the copy editor type. Yeah, she, she admits that she you know, was intentionally bad at her job, so she wouldn't have to do it anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's how you get assigned permanently at some places I've been. Yes. Um, all right. I want to take people, if you, if you want to do a little yoga and turn around and see, I put up a page from Suck off the Internet Archive. And that's what it looked like. It's just this narrow column down the middle of the page. They kind of, at least for, I don't know if they pioneered this, but it's the first place I'd ever uh, seen it. The blind linking. They linked to something that didn't, you know, the, the link itself, the place you would arrive at was a joke or a pun on what they had linked from. It wasn't more information. I'd never seen that before. And it looks like they've d designed for mobile like 12 years before mobile <laughs> existed. Well, it, 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 was, it was actually simpler than that. We designed for the screens that people actually had. So, you know, all of these web designers were mostly like repurposed print designers and they were used to having really expensive giant screens. And so they would design web pages that sprawled across, you know, mm. all you know, 21 inches diagonal of their screens. And the actual screens that most people had were 640 by 480. So Suck.com designed for the actual experience. Our other slogan was Suck.com, at least we admit it. <laughs> it and was... 
It was very Gen X-y. Like, it was, it, it, it seemed, I mean, this all seems like, you know, old people now, but at the time, you know, having a slogan that was like, a, a, what is it, a fish, a barrel, and a smoking gun, like, you know, that would not have happened. The baby boomers who were so earnest would not have done that. And here was the Gen X being all ironic and like, we're just shooting fish in a barrel here, but they don't even say that. They had to say that sideways. And it just like, to read something like that in what looked like professional media was just, uh, to me, revolutionary. And, you know, I think sometimes we were maybe too ironic for our own good. Definitely. And um, I'll, I'll tell you a story that... Um, that also tells you a bit about the environment of the dot-com boom. Suck.com had, uh, when I got there, we were expanding. We had all these sections, you know, instead of just the daily essay. And one of them was the pitch. So the pitch was a startup idea. But this was the worst possible startup idea we could come up with. <laughs> Something that would never exist, could never exist, should never exist. And what we saw is that about three months after we would run a pitch, someone would actually fund that startup. <laughs> and you know, I, I think even into the second boom, people were looking at you know, the Sock.com archive and recycling ideas. In fact, I think our host, Chris Lindland of Betaran, stole his idea from our pitch for pantsoff.net. Yeah. Chris, any comments? No, he has no comment. But, you know, it, it, we thought things were ridiculous, and it just kept getting more and more ridiculous, more and more overheated. Uh, from Suck.com, I went on to a publication called The Red Herring, which covered technology and business um, and, you know, and, and took things seriously in a way Suck.com didn't. But I remember, you know, I remember a day I was uh, in charge of online news. It was a monthly magazine. I was taking it as, you know, as Suck.com did to the daily world because people wanted new stuff every day. And, you know, I thought it was great if there was a, you know, a venture capital funding. Oh my gosh, there was a VC funding today, finally something I can write about. And, you know, then, then there started to be more VC fundings and more. And I, I remember a day when I turned to my colleague and said, you know what? If it's not $10 million, I'm just not going to wake up that morning. <laughs> I don't get out of bed for I don't get out of bed for less than $10 million. Yes, that's the Linda Evangelista supermodel quote. I was, I, and, you know, but that was, you know, that was how venture capital was spiking upwards. I was reading up a little on the 90s. I was there, but I wasn't really paying attention to a lot of this stuff and uh, don't have a very good memory anyway. Um, and I, it just all these names kept coming back to me. Uh, we were talking earlier today, Alta Vista, the best search engine before Yahoo and Google, and, and just all these companies that, um, you know, they just got a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. They didn't really have a business plan. Uh, it was just like, disrupt, get a bunch of money, and then I don't know what. And like a lot of them bought by Yahoo, uh, that's still going on. Like they just bought Tumblr not too long ago and just sold it for nothing pennies on the billions. Um, so that's one exit plan, I guess. But uh, and the other thing I remember is kind of like sort of just this crazy scene of like happy hours and parties and just uh, aside from the crazy business plan, it was just like it was ridiculous to be like a 25-year-old or a 30-year-old person. And it's like, yeah, every Friday I go to a happy hour in an office and I drink champagne and eat caviar from this business that doesn't have a business plan. Like, do you have any like really crazy dot-com party stories or happy hour stories or anything like that? Well, there, there's one party I remember. 
uh, I think it was for like an online calendar startup, uh, or maybe they pivoted to, to you know, I don't know, uh, you know, application infrastructure. But what I remember is the Yetost. This is a, a Norwegian cheese. It's kind of fudgy, salty, uh, funky. And to me, it is the taste of the bubble. And the thing about this party, which I remember was at Ruby Sky, rest in peace, which was a very particular uh, nightclub venue that was, that was incredibly popular for the, exactly these kind of startup launch Keep parties, talking, I'm leaving. Uh, was that there was a cheese sommelier. So you didn't slice off your own yetos. The cheese sommelier would carefully explain to you the origins of this cheese and the Norwegian farmers who milked the cows. And then he would slice it off and hand it to you on a plate to sample. And then you would try the blue. And then you would try the goat brie. And my rule to this day is if there is a cheese sommelier at your party, flee immediately. Go to your bunker. Run for the hills. The end is coming. You must have a business plan. If you, if you see the cheese sommelier, you know you don't have a business plan. Yes. That's the, yes, that's exactly. the thing. Uh, Seamus, is sound working or should we not do it? All right. Well, I was going to play. We had a thing called the, the, uh, the Owen History Button when we did a podcast called Startups of the Week at the Chronicle. And uh, we're talking about current events, but, and Owen was oh. one of the hosts. And uh, it, we they, play they that. Got it. Every time something, something would come up where Owen would say, well, that reminds me of something that had happened in the past. I would hit this uh, little cue, and it sounded like this. Owen history button activated. <laughs> what the heck is going on? <laughs> okay, so, because, you know, the other people on the show were like, oh, God, there goes Owen again. <laughs> so we did the Owen history button. So, Owen, thank you for coming on and pressing the Owen history button. By the way, Owen Thomas on uh, Instagram and Twitter, at Owen Thomas, and, of course, his uh, most more famous partner, Ramona the Love Terrier is at Ramona Terrier, uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, probably a little more famous than Owen. Ramona is an actual terrier. Owen Thomas, I want you to have this. Just It goes so well with this outfit. Yeah. 49ers, Super Bowl something uh, button. Owen Thomas. Thanks, King. This has been Not Your Century, a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Audrey Cooper, Editor-in-Chief. Get great journalism today at sfchronicle.com. I'm King Kaufman. Talk to me on Twitter at King underscore Kaufman. We now return you to your century.